in our lives. These giants can take different forms. It may be a person we are intimidated by, or perhaps a situation, maybe an illness or a financial struggle. The armies of Israel were cowered before their Goliath. They had the God of the universe on their side. But instead of drawing from years of favor and provision, they allowed the visible strength of their enemy to scare them into submission. As Pastor Mark encourages us in today's message, just as David stood up with the strength of God and conquered that Goliath, we can stand up and conquer whatever giants are facing us in our lives. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17 with today's edition of Come Alive. David's name, if you're taking notes, means beloved of God. And if you remember the word gaff, remember a while back we talked about this place, gaff means press. That's where they pressed olives. They squeezed the oil out of the olives there. So the splendor of this world is going to press in on you, so to speak. The splendor of this world will press in on you, and especially in the valley of your oath. It'll cause you to really start to question. David's from Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Think about that. God wants you to make toast when life gets tough, right? No. He doesn't want you to make toast. He wants you to take that which is a staple in life, that sustenance. Jesus called himself the bread of life. Again, John twenty twenty one. as the Father has sent me, I send you. We are to be Christ-like, salvation for someone else through the love of Jesus Christ, to be that bread. And so Goliath stood over nine feet tall, and so Saul, when you think about it, being head and shoulders above the rest, he was kind of looked upon as the guy that was supposed to go out and meet with Goliath and do this battle. And then most of Israel, you know, thought that that's what he would do, or that's what the king's job was. You know, they, back in those times, they would send one champion out, And it was just kind of smart, you know. I mean, we've all thought this probably. I used to think of it when I was a kid. Well, why not, instead of two countries going to war, we just let the presidents of those countries or the kings of those countries fight. And just whoever wins, that's the winner. And so here they have a champion that goes out. And so Saul would supposed to be the guy to go out and meet him. So Goliath, what he does, you know, he stands taller than Saul. But it says Saul stood head and shoulders above the rest then most of Israel, he was expected to rise to that challenge. And yet, once again, we see in Saul's life that he doesn't. Why doesn't he rise to the challenge? Well, we read nothing about him spending time with God. We read nothing about him communicating with God. And so Goliath tries to crush. How does he do that? Well, look at verse 5 through 7. It says, he had a bronze helmet on his head. 
and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of that coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he, had a, and he had bronze armor on his legs, and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bear went before him. Now 600 shekels is anywhere from 15 to 25 pounds. That's a pretty heavy spearhead. That's just the point. And so probably as long as this thing would be, he would throw it. He'd have to be pretty strong to throw 25 pounds a, a decent distance. And so when they talk about the weaver's beam, they, they think it had a string attached to it. And that way when you threw it, as it would unravel, it would allow this thing to travel even further. So he would be able to throw this big heavy spear. I mean, just think if somebody chunked 25 pounds at you and hit you and it had a big point. I mean, it would hurt. I mean, you'd be dead. And so he tries to crush this, this Saul, this army, and he's doing a pretty good job. Talks about his armor bearer going before him. And we don't see, and a lot of people will read this as like, yeah, he's walking out with him, but he's not. The armor bearer would probably carry all um, um, Goliath's stuff and stand there and show it off, how big the shield is. And, and, and Israel's sitting there going, look, there's one guy coming out. Look how big all that stuff is. Look how gigantic that stuff is. Well, I wonder what, what's going on. And so they're looking down and seeing this happen. And again, a big heavy coat of mail on this, on this giant. And being a champion, well, we know the word champion means he probably didn't lose many battles, if any at all. So he wasn't a loser. Look at verse 8. It says, Then he stood and he cried to the armies of Israel, and he said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Now, either it was dark or this is the, this is the armor bearer. And so he says, choose a man, let him come down for me. And, so, and, and I'll tell you why in a minute why I think this might be the armor bearer. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then he will be your, we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words, listen, they heard the words, they didn't see whoever was saying this, of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So they hear these words. Now David was the son of that Ephraite of Bethlehem and Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle and the names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shemai. And David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. And then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousands, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for battle. For Israel, so here it is, Israel's getting ready to go and fight. They're a little afraid of what they heard. They're ready to fight. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array and army against army. They're ready to go. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, came and greeted his brothers, and then he talked with them. There was the champion of the Philistines of Gath, Goliath by name. 
coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, so David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So here we see this story unfolding. See, they'd pick one guy, usually a champion to do battle, would spare lives, but also the winner of that battle, whoever won, would also relate to the God they serve. They would relate that win to the God that they serve. So if Goliath wins, they obviously would say, hey, well, our God's more powerful than your God. And so that agreement was for the losing side to become slaves for the winner's side. And so Goliath was, was very, very confident in, in his stuff. Again, back in verses 8 through 10, he's very confident in all his stuff. He stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel. And he said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you the servants? Now this could just be a message from, from Goliath, or it could really be Goliath. But it doesn't say anything. Why would they line up and be ready to go and then all of a sudden see this guy and run if this was him? But that's not the main point here. The main point is Goliath was so confident in his equipment, so confident in his natural strength, so confident that he commits his fellow countrymen to slavery if they lose. Think about the confidence that this guy has. I I always bluff my friends when they're like, man, that ain't right. I'll be like, hey, you willing to bet a paycheck? I'll bet one of my paychecks against one of your paychecks. And everybody always backs out and goes, no way. And I'm like, well, you have no confidence in what you're saying. If you were really confident and you were really sure that that thing was going to happen, you would have no problem betting that whole paycheck. And so sometimes I run these little tests with people. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm for sure. Like, really? You'd be willing to bet a paycheck on that? Uh, No. No. Well, you're not that sure then. You're you're probably only 50% sure at best. So this is still true today. You know, the the agreement was for the losing side to become slaves for the winners. Think about this. Still for today, we know if we're not victorious over the enemy, well, we'll be serving him, right? If we're not victorious over Satan, over the devil, over those evil things, over those things that hold us bondage, uh, drugs, alcohol, materialism, idolatry, whatever it may be in your life, it's going to hold you bondage. It's going to hold you captive. You are going to be a slave, And so you get the idea. You get that idea. If you cannot conquer that sin that you struggle with, then that sin will always have victory over you. It will conquer you. And if you always serve that sin, whatever that sin is, you will always be the loser. You will never have victory. The idea is you have victory over it if you win. If it serves you and if you don't have victory over it, it, it's the thing you serve. So here's what we see. Number one, we see intimidation. We see Goliath trying to intimidate somebody, a champion in his weapons of warfare. He comes out, he presents these weapons of warfare. I mean, if, you, if we just walked up and somebody said, hey, we're going to do battle with you, Calvary Katie, show up in our warehouse and take a look at what we have. And so we send some spies out to the land. We send a few people out and say, go check out what they have. And they come back, Mike and David, and they show up and they're like, dude, they got some awesome weapons. What do we got? And I'm like, well, Josiah, he and I made some slingshots last year out of wood. We got one of those. And, and uh, somebody else has got a gun. And, and my son's got this staff. Oh, we got a sword and a pocket knife. Oh, we might be like, oh, wait a minute. That doesn't sound good for us. Oh, we got very little. Oh, we got nothing. And then there's the interrogation. There's the interrogation. Look what Goliath does. 
And if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And so he starts to question them. Who's going to be the guy? I'm interrogating you guys. I want to know who who are you going to send out? Give me a man to fight. Just one guy. And we'll call it even after that. And then all of a sudden, that interrogation, aren't, aren't you servants of Saul? Aren't you guys Saul's servants? Where's your king? If he won't do it, then send someone who can. That's what's happening here. If your king can't do it, then send somebody who can do this. And then number three, humiliation. If you're taking note, one is intimidation, two, interrogation, three, humiliation. It's embarrassing when a child of God is found serving the enemy because he lost the battle. It's embarrassing when we as Christians sit back and just wonder, I wonder why the world is going in such a bad way. I wonder why immorality is just rising to the top and floating and, and we're left in the, in the wake of it. I wonder why. See, you and I were not created for serving anything less than God. Oh, we were and are supposed to be serving the Lord. In verse 10, the word for defy is one that means pick apart, to pick apart. Let's pick it up in verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. And then the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of these three sons, and we know their names. Verse 14, it says, David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain, and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and then bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And so here, notice David and his response to the war. David and his response to the war is he's still got responsibilities. He's going to take care of his sheep. He's not preoccupied with this battle. And so a lot of times there was a, a, a need to keep an army fed. And so here David's dad sends some food, some encouragement, some sustenance. So you got this kid, I don't know how old he is, running with 10 loaves and some cheese. And, and so I say this because oftentimes you'll hear about the enemy more than you, you hear about what, what's going on, what God's doing. So David sent to go here, but here's what happens. David's not concerned that much with, with what that battle is and what's going on in that battle. And a lot of times as Christians, you think about this, we hear more about the enemy. Oh, well, you know, this week the devil's really had his grips on me, Mark. And, and just the other day, you know, Satan came up and he tried to crush me. And, man, it was just rough. I'm having a rough time. And the devil this and the devil that. And he's under that bush over there. And he was under my car. And he was on top of my car. And he was at the foot of my bed. And when I got up and went to the bathroom this morning, he was in the shower. We hear a lot about the devil, but we don't hear about the power of God at work in people's lives. We don't hear about the strength of God, how God's holding you up and keeping you fighting in that battle. See, it sounds like, oh man, you won't believe what the enemy's doing this week. The devil's really been hard at work this week, and we hear this a lot. 
And so you and I as believers have nothing to be afraid of because as believers, the Bible tells us that he is stronger in us and more powerful than he that is in the world, right? Our God is stronger. Our God is greater. And so we know that. And so here, again, you see this in, in these verses. Saul is, is impressed, and he's also depressed. He's impressed at the size of this guy, but he's depressed because, well, he's afraid. He, he has no faith in his God to get him through this. And so there's a number here I want you guys to take a look at. It's the number 40. 40 days, 40 evenings. Morning and evening for 40 days. 40 is a number in the Bible that's of testing and trial. Noah had, what? 40 days of rain, right? Children of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. So the number 40 in the Bible is a time of testing and trial. Look at verse 20. It says, so David rose early in the morning. He left the sheep with a keeper. He took the things and he went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. Now, here's what I want you to look at. David rose up early in the morning. He forg- he, he, he's like, you know what? I'm done sleeping. I'm a little tired, but I'm done. I'm going to get up and I got to go. But I also got a job. And so I got to have somebody watch this job. He's a, remember we talked last week that God chooses busy people. He doesn't choose those people that are just kicking it on the couch, sipping on the, the iced tea or whatever and watching their favorite shows. He's not going to use those people. Comfort's too big of a deal. They're worshiping their idol, that idol of comfort. So he's like, you know what? Here's this guy that's working. He's keeping the sheep. I'm going to choose him. And so David gets up early and he leaves the sheep with a friend or another keeper. So he manages his time well. He plans ahead so that his stuff is taken care of. He doesn't just leave it and forget about it. He leaves it with somebody that he trusts. Verse 21, for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. They're ready to go. Verse 22, and David left his supplies in the hand of a supply keeper. He ran to the army and he came and he greeted his brother. So he gets there. He leaves all the stuff that his father had sent with him, gives it to the supply keeper, goes and greets his brothers. And then, verse 23, as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, or Splendor. You see the Splendor coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. These guys cowered when they saw this giant. The army hasn't seen Goliath until now, and it tells us the armor bearer would display the stuff, the shield and the sword. And so they see Goliath, and they begin gulping. It caused panic in the fighting men. These are supposed to be the brave of the brave. And, and, and when we think about this, And you think about what David's dad had done. David's father sent him. Well, it's very New Testament because God the Father sent his son. And and, and with the same stuff, right? Minus the cheeses, the bread. There's this bread that David's carrying. And so Jesus was to be the bread of life for his brothers, just like the bread was to go to David's brothers. And no matter what giant you face and no matter what splendor it shows, or the weapons it displays in front of you, you and I can have confidence that our bread of life, our Savior, our Jesus, has already won the battle. And just like you and I know the end of this story, that David wins, well, we also know the end of our story, that Jesus wins. Right? The second coming happens, and and the church is raptured. 
We're taken up. We don't even get to see the problems. And all of a sudden, we know there's victory because we know the end of the story. And so God has, what God has given you, if we, we turn and you look at uh, the full armor of God, oh, we're dressed in battle array as well. Oh, we're supposed to do battle. And so let us see the comparison of Saul's impression and Goliath's. They don't matter to God. Remember Saul's impression in the beginning where like head and shoulders above the rest, the people were like, oh, he's handsome. Whoa, he's going to be a great leader. And, and Goliath, it's the same thing. The, the people, again, are impressed by the outward appearance of stuff. They see it, and they're threatened by it. What are you threatened by? Who threatens you in, in your life next to you? Maybe not in a bad way, but maybe in a way where you just you don't feel equal. You don't feel that you can talk to this person because, well, they're my boss, or eh, they have more money than me, or they drive a nicer car, or they might look down on me for whatever reason. What's threatening you? What, what, what's standing in splendor before you? It's just the enemy with making it look like great weapons. And those are great weapons when you think about it. Let us first be impressed that, one, God had sent his son to die on our behalf. Uh, we should be impressed with that, number one. Uh, that somebody would care enough for you to send his only begotten son to die on a cross. That we need to no longer fear those big things in our lives, those giants. Remember we talked about each of us has a giant, uh, something big that just kind of looms over us, that threatens us. Well, we don't have to fear those giants anymore. And you may be the one bringing the cheese and the bread. You may be that because we're called Christians and we are to bring the bread of life to those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we'll see next week will blow you away. We're going to see the little so-called pizza delivery guy. I mean, if anybody's ever seen a pizza delivery guy, they're not the most threatening-looking people in the world. They smell like pizza and cheese and bread. And so we see the pizza delivery guy going out and, and beating up a giant. He's going to rock a giant, literally rock a giant. And so the weapons of the enemy can't stand against God. So it's important for us to know that there are those things that the enemy will bring before you to try to scare you, like he's done with the children of Israel. It just takes one dude, one dude, to just roll up with bread and cheese and go down and pick up a rock to win the battle. Because it wasn't David that won it, it was God. Ultimately, it was God. It was just David being obedient, submitting, right? Submit to God first, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We know the story. The Philistines turn and run. They didn't hold up to their end of the deal to be slaves. They fled. The enemy fled. Every book in the Bible holds meaning for us, even in our modern times. In 1 Samuel, for example, Pastor Mark has been teaching us about the power and sovereignty of God. Our Creator does what He needs to in order to accomplish His tasks, regardless of our involvement. How much better would it be, though, if we did step into God's plan for His world? God wants to use each of us to do incredible things for the kingdom. All we need to do is be willing. We're so glad you tuned in today to learn from 1 Samuel, and we'd like to encourage you to keep reading ahead. You'll learn a lot as you discover God for yourself. Another good place to hear and study the Word is in a church setting. Here's Tracy with a little more about what being in the body of Christ can mean for you. Joining a church is more than just showing up for a Sunday morning service. 
It's getting to know the people you're worshiping with. As the church body grows together in the love and teaching of God's Word, it will become a powerful and effective witness for Christ within its walls and beyond. If you're near Katy, Texas, we'd love to meet you Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary Katy. Visit ComeAliveRadio.com to find out more and get directions. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast as well to keep up with the latest editions of Come Alive. You can find it on Google Play or iTunes. Thanks for tuning in today to Come Alive.